I'm Dr. Kimberly Manning. And this is Dr. Ashley McMullen. And you're listening to the Human Doctor Podcast, where we explore the human side of medicine, along with teaching, living, learning, and all things in between. Using the power of storytelling, conversation, and connectedness. Hey, we're two dope academic internal medicine doctors, but we ain't your doctors. So if you perceive anything we say here as medical advice, no, it ain't that. Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant black woman magic mind and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us and we appreciate you. Let's Let's go. go. What's up, Ash? You know, it's Monday morning. My mind is full of thoughts and none of which are organized. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a Monday indeed. And, you know, it's good to be seen and not viewed. You know what I'm saying? I've been yeah. sitting with those thoughts since last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? And, and shout out to all of the people who gave a listen um, last week, which was actually a really good segue to some of what we'll talk about today. Last week, we talked about the fellowship of suffering and how powerful that can be. And as you know, some of our listeners may know, but some may not know, last Wednesday, my father, Mr. William Draper Sr., transitioned from this life late at night. Was it Tuesday? Oh, it was Wednesday. My bad. It was Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> really not that organized. So yeah. please don't even get that thing twisted. Um, <laughs> it was on the 22nd. I know that. But as you know, I've been working on my sleep hygiene and getting seven hours of sleep. And I had gone to bed and it happened while I was already asleep because he was mm-hmm. out on the West Coast. Yeah. And um, my sister was trying to call me, but you know, I had my D&D on and my sweet husband comes in and rubs me on my shoulder and asks me if I'm asleep, which sidebar, I low-key thought he was trying to get at something else and I was not appreciating it, but, (laughs) and so I'm, I'm really grateful that I didn't get a jarring phone call. I actually had the tenderness of the person I love the most, um, waking me up so that I could just sit up and hug him. And, Mm. um, and he loved my dad too. So it was, uh, um, I was, I was kind of grateful for that little mercy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So just to, to be transparent, you know, I have made references to a loved one who was going through something. And that person was my father. Back in April, my father experienced a stroke. It was not the kind of stroke that is so severe that it left him unable to talk or breathe or anything. It actually more left him unable to walk and affected his balance. And after sort of a series of unfortunate things that happened, especially that we sometimes see in our aging population, it just kind of had setback after setback after setback. And um, fortunately, my father had been very explicit to his child, who was a doctor, <laughs> about his wishes. And he was pretty clear that, like, if I ever get to a point that I can't feed myself, um, don't put anything in me to help me eat. If I get to a point where I can't get up and go to the bathroom myself and, you know, manage using the bathroom myself, I'm not going to be happy about that. And if I can't get a joke that you tell me, Mm, um, then I don't really want you to do anything to prolong me being in that state. Now, I'm not saying take me out. (laughs) 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 Don't go to jail, Um, but don't hold me in that state. her die? How did it change how I don't you know live? that it changed me a lot because I, I think, you know, I don't know whether it was being an engineering student or what, 
but I always kind of took a pragmatic view of things. You know, when my father was sick, I, I remember telling my mother that I think we should start making funeral arrangements. And she really got upset. Everybody got upset with me. But my thing was, I didn't like seeing him sick because he was a, a big, you know, strong man. And I didn't like to see him laying there in the bed, not being able to do anything for himself. And when he died, I actually felt better seeing him in the casket than seeing him there in the bed. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, with Maria, it was more, I was, I, I was just kind of relieved that she didn't lay around for a long time and, 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 and uh, it was just, it was just, to me, beautiful in the sense as the way she did it, with dignity there in her bed with the family of sister there sitting there talking to her. And when she died, I, I didn't, I was probably the only one in the house not crying. And it was like, that wasn't my idea. I actually helped the guys carry her out because I didn't have a sense that that was my idea. Mm. But it was gone. Mm. And I think that you know, for some reason, some people might think it was callous or whatever, but I just think that's kind of how I view things. Can I ask what it was like sharing that news with your kids? Yeah, that's another um, small mercy that happened. About uh, a week before my father passed away, we, we had moved him into hospice care. Uh, shout out to the outstanding team of people who took care of him in hospice and the caregivers who had been taking care of him before hospice. But I saw my father on FaceTime, actually, the day he, he died. Mm. And when I saw him, he was not arousable. He, was, he looked like he was sleeping. He looked like he was preparing to make his transition. And at that point, my kids did know that he'd had a stroke, but I brought them in and sat them down and I told them, you know, grandpa is, 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 is nearing the end of life and he's probably not going to be with us that, that long. You know, my kids who are uh, 15 and 17, they were very close to their grandfather. So they immediately started weeping, right? And crying and asking questions. So I answered questions and then they, it shifted to them asking about me and then a new sort of fresh set of tears about being sad that I would be sad. And then my younger son, and he's pretty stoic, but he became unusually upset about the, the idea of mortality. He mm -hmm. was just like, you know, if I feel this way about grandpa, mom, if something happens to you, like, I, I'm not going to be able to live through that. I'm not, I'm just not. And I looked at him and I said, yes, you will, because there's a lot of stuff that you have to do in this world. And if I'm not here, you still have to do those things. Mm. And if someone had told me when your Auntie Deanna passed away that I would live through that, that I could live through that, um, I would have told them no. But yet here we are. You know, yeah. I lived through it. So if something happens to me, and I hope nothing happens to me anytime soon, but in the event that I'm not, I promise you, you will, you will be able to go on. And you must. And that's my wish. This was before my father had died, actually. Yeah. Um, so we unpacked all of that. And then we talked about how literally for seven summers, my kids spent four weeks to six weeks with my father in California. Mm -hmm. And we talked about what that took. You know, it took my husband trusting another adult enough to release his kids to their care for like that much time. 
And they started going when Zachary was not even one. Wow. Yeah. And Isaiah was like knocking on two. So my father personally potty trained both of my children. He personally um, taught both of them how to swim. He personally taught them both how to read. They have a lot of his influence. Mm -hmm. And they were able to reflect on that. And so the next morning when I told them that grandpa had passed away, they looked peaceful Mm -hmm. because they had been sort of dealing with it already. And so I think that was a mercy. I think when we have a celebration of his life, that will be hard for them, but probably they'll be fine. Mm. Wow. You know, of course, this is making me think a lot about, you know, my experience with my grandmother and- you know, that is a gift that I reflect back on often, especially when I'm sad. Mm-hmm. It's just how much mercy I had and being able to spend that mm-hmm. amount of time with her both before and after the stroke. You know, I know that we'll, we'll talk a bit more about grieving, but I'm not sure how well I would have done had I not had that opportunity to say goodbye before she actually passed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or at least to kind of come to terms with it. Yeah. When I think of your grandmother, I always think of it as an Esther moment for you. And for those who don't know the reference, it's a biblical reference to a story in the Bible about Esther who um, became a queen. And it's a long story, but the bottom line is there was a point where the words say that perhaps you, you were born and created for a time such as this. Mm-hmm. And when I think about you becoming a doctor, I mean, even as your life worked out for you to have the amount of contact with your grandmother and for you to be a general internist and all the things that you've accomplished, the fact that, you know, you were there, I was just like, wow, this is such an Esther moment. Like maybe the whole path to her becoming a doctor, all of this was, was for this moment. Right. And I just love knowing that. you talk about the relationship that your dad had with your children, mm-hmm. you know, it, maybe it's harder to appreciate as a child, but as an adult, I recognize like how rare that is to be able to grow up in such a way that your grandparents are so intertwined with your life and your identity and mm-hmm. to have that kind of wisdom and love baked into you, which, mm-hmm. you know, there are many lessons that I learned as a child growing up with her, but the mm-hmm. impact of the lessons that I learned <laughs> just in those few days or weeks towards the end of her life. Like that is some powerful stuff that I will Mm -hmm. carry with me. And I'm not at all surprised that that's something that she would do. Like you said, like sometimes in these little short bursts, you learn 
you learn a whole bunch like concentrated into one moment, but your ability to deal with those things is what was baked in, you know? So normally y'all, we just come, we have a plan. We have like, all right, we're going to tell this person going to tell a story. Um, I was going to say plan is a strong word, but we have, we have a framework. (laughs) We have a quasi plan. It's going to be in our, uh, in our show notes that we don't have. Um, But I I asked, actually asked Ashley this morning um, if we could record, you know, without a very firm plan, but I wanted to sort of, what was on my mind today um, is really um, bereavement and what that looks like, sort of the diversity of bereavement or the Mm -hmm. diversity of grief, but also the idea of this word regret. You know, if if there's any singular goal um, that I have in my life, actually, it is to live a life free of regrets. Mm. If I could just think of anything that I want more than anything else is to not have any regrets. I think that regrets and how grief looks, um, those things can go very hand in hand, or at least regret can jump on grief's back (laughs) and go for a ride. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so um, I'm just reflecting a little bit on uh, when my sister passed away. And I remember being back at work and I remember, you know, hearing someone say to me that someone else was worried about me. Mm. They were worried about me because they thought that maybe I was in denial and that I was trying to put on a brave face and I was trying to be strong because, you know, it was such intense, awful. And so I remember that sitting with me and me wondering, maybe there was something pathologic about the way that I felt because how I felt about my sister was sad that she was gone, but I really seriously didn't have a single regret about our relationship. Like we were just so close. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, as another mercy, you know, my sister was a teacher and she would get out of school and she was my mommy's helper. So she would come and get my kids and she was an engineer by trade before. So she would teach them math and a lot of the things like my dad, like very, very similar to things my dad did, which is like low key, y'all, me and math, we don't mix. So <laughs> <laughs> I hope these kids got what they need because uh, both of the math teachers are gone and I don't know what we're going to do now. But, so uh, if you're an engineer out there, holla at your girl. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I felt like I was doing it wrong. And I was like, maybe I should will myself to grieve in the way that grief is supposed to look like broken and tired. You know what I mean? Um, And and to be clear, if somebody is on the struggle bus and that's what their grief looks like, broken and tired, if they can't get out of the bed right now because it's been less than a week and they can't stop crying and any mention makes them, you know, really feel unglued, that's okay too. But particularly with my father, how I feel when people ask me how I'm doing, I say, I am in a place of intense gratitude Mm. and peace. I cannot think of a single thing I needed my father to do for me that he did not do. I can't. I can't think of anything as my father where he did not show up for me. And I absolutely recognize that one, it's a blessing just to have a father, Mm -hmm. period. A father that I know like that already. I'm already winning ahead of a lot of people, particularly a lot of people who look like me, given the history of fractured families in our in our community. 
But on top of that, I had a father who had the mental and physical ability to physically be there for me and then who had achieved enough that allowed him the resources financially to do a whole bunch of stuff for me and my kids. Mm. I can't think of nothing that I wish, like I wish like, like, oh, I wish me and my dad talked more. Nope. I looked at my phone. I have 20 messages from my father that I saved in my phone that are still in my phone. Mm. And they all are hilarious. It's your dad. It looks like I'm eligible for the fourth booster. Do I need to get a booster? (laughs) Hit me back. You ain't call me back about this booster. (laughs) Hey, I'm on this medicine called amlodipine. What I need to do about that? What you think of it? Somebody said it's going to make my ankle swell. Call me back. (laughs) Every one of these messages, girl, they a hoot. And I was just like, man, I'm going to miss my father a Mm -hmm. lot because my father is a good friend of mine. But my grief is, is absolutely genuine. And what my grief looks like is gratitude. Yeah. That's what my grief looks like for, for this particular instance. I don't know what it would be like for somebody else. Yeah. I'm so glad that you bring this up. I imagine anybody who's, who's lost someone can relate in some way. For me, there were times, luckily not often, but when someone kind of projects their experience onto you. Or it's just like, oh, yeah, I've been through that. I know what you must be feeling. And sometimes you're not quite sure how to respond because it's actually that that's not my experience at all. But Mm. I I appreciate what you're trying to do. Mm. You know, I think that's a natural reaction is to try Mm. to connect with someone in some way. Um, It's the fellowship of suffering, right? Right, exactly. But you, you run the risk of assumptions. I also remember feeling a little trepidatious coming back to work. You know, and this goes along with ageism too, for folks who, you know, just like, oh yeah, I lost my grandparents too. Like, you know, just because you lost someone who is older, so to speak, mm-hmm. that it doesn't affect you as much. It's not as, um, it's not as bad as losing, you know, a parent or, you mm-hmm. know, someone younger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I actually was surprised, you know, I don't, or maybe I just talk about my grandmother more than I like recognize that I do. But many of my colleagues got it. They knew mm. how big a loss that was for me. I was worried I was going to have to explain it, why I had to be away for so long. Mm. But, you know, for the folks who, who knew me and loved me, like they, they got it. And that mm-hmm. was so important to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we always try to operate from a space of humanism and empathy. And, you know, as I reflect on what you just said about what people project, you know, when something happens, you are sort of ushered into a club you have never been in. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed that this happening over and over where people will be like, oh, you know, I, you know, it would just be like this really long text message, you know, expressing some like how terrible it's about to be and how they get it and they understand and just from a much different place than what I was feeling. So, so what empathy showed me is that hearing that somebody you care about lost a parent when you lost a parent or a, or a parent like figure is triggering. And I realize that because of how I, I love on people, the people that love me who have had this kind of loss, it is extremely triggering for them to know how I feel about my father and to then like try to reconcile how I might be feeling with how they felt before. And um, so I'm trying to be tender with some of those folks too. And, and I am very clear about where I am, which is I'm blessed and in a place of gratitude. Today, I feel peaceful. Mm. That, that's pretty much been my response. 
if I don't feel that tomorrow, then um, I will be honest about that, depending on who asks. But I get it. I get it when people do that now, because I think it's triggering. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I think about, and I wonder if this came up for you at times with Deanna, like there's a, a time limit on grieving. Like once you're done, you're done. Mm-hmm. You know, I was similarly got to a place of immense peace and, and gratitude after we had celebrated my grandmother's life and kind of came back into the fold of work. But, you know, it's been about a year and a half now. And, you know, there are times where, you know, I find myself asking, I'm just like, man, I thought, <laughs> thought I'd kind of gotten through this. And it just, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of unwinds me in different ways, kind of depending mm-hmm. on what, what state I'm in. And I know that, you know, particularly recently, you know, just thinking about like how much she saw me mm. and that really hits me at times where I feel unseen mm. um, or at times where I feel like I don't belong. And it's just like, man, that one person who always who I always knew I belonged to, she actually would refer to me in the possessive sense, just like, that's my Ashley. Mm. And um, when I think about that, it, it makes me incredibly sad sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's OK to sit with that, you know? Because that's the price we pay for that kind of love. Mm. I mean, what a special gift to belong to somebody. Yeah. To belong to belong to your grandmother. Oh my gosh. How wonderful. How special is that? And so if if having you a few sun showers or having you a few days where you feel sad is the price you pay for that, then that's that should be something that you want. I don't ever, ever want to get to a point where I don't feel um, something about losing my sister. I don't ever want to feel that way. And I don't ever want to feel that way about my father either. If somebody loves you that hard, you're going to have a point where you feel that there's going to be a hole left. And I know for myself, what I anticipate will be the hardest for me is probably similar to Deanna because my father and Deanna had a lot in common Mm. and is that they were very proud of me. Mm. Very, very proud of me. I miss Deanna the most when I accomplish something. You know, and I do something big and I get some award or something happens where, you know, I get something published somewhere, um, something, something public facing that is an accomplishment. I miss her very, very much. And the only person who really took more delight in seeing me accomplish something uh, more than Deanna is my father. And, you know, the picture I posted to Twitter of my father holding um, one of my awards. Yeah. It is like him to the thousandth power. <laughs> Because like, I'm gonna go to my father's house and I'm gonna probably collect about eight, nine awards that are very nice. Because he would just take my, he'd be like, this one's mine. (laughs) I mean, the biggest ones too, right? (laughs) So I anticipate for me, and very similar to what you said about when you you don't feel seen. I think when when I accomplished something that would have made my father acutely proud, um, acute on his chronic pride, um, (laughs) I think that I would have, I I think, I think I will feel sad. I also have one of my kids expresses a strong interest in going to Tuskegee. Mm -hmm. If I take a child and drop them off at Tuskegee university as a college student, y'all all better be checking on me. Let me post that picture of me dropping my son off at Tuskegee University Mm -hmm. where my father, my grandfather, my, my mother, my grandmother, my great grandmother, where all of us went, y'all better check on me. If said child pledges Omega Sci Fi fraternity, y'all better come with the defibrillator paddles for me <laughs> to be shot. <laughs> and more because, again, that would have 
acutely made my father proud. That's probably the only thing I could think of that he didn't get to see that I think he would really dig. Now, don't nobody go to Tuskegee. I'm good, y'all. <laughs> go to Tuskegee because my father's seen four grandkids graduate from high school. Mm-hmm. You know, he's seen a child graduate from from college. He's seen all four of his kids get terminal degrees, two JDs, an MD, and a DVM. I mean, mm. I mean, come on. Like, this dude has gotten to see a lot of, I will say, seeing a grandchild go to Tuskegee because like 98% of the photos I have of my father when he's not in a suit, he's in a um, Tuskegee shirt. The <laughs> 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 dude loved him some Tuskegee. So mm. let one of them kids go to Tuskegee. It's going to be on mm. and popping. Yeah, that's beautiful. (laughs) It is. It is beautiful. So look out for your girl. But, you know, I think more than anything, I just wanted to have this conversation um, to permit people who are grieving in some way to know that just like there is diversity in who we all are, there's diversity in grief. Mm -hmm. You are permitted to do you. You're permitted to still be grieving, you know, a year and a half later. You sure are. You permitted like our our um our patient last week to, you know, still be grieving years later. Yeah. Um, and to have your melancholy days where the missing is just extra, extra raw on that day. But you are also permitted to walk in gratitude and have a smile on your face and to laugh at somebody's joke if they tell it and and to actually ask somebody how they doing and mean it to be okay to hear about somebody talk about their grandmother and not feel like they're taking something from me. I, I actually asked you before we started, I said, I would like your grandmother to show up in this conversation. <laughs> and, and that's because we're in fellowship. And I know your grandmother was like another parent to you. And so to some degree, you know, you know what it's like to lose a parent, mm. you know, yeah. and we, we, we can hold that space together. Today is a very good day, but yes. um, tomorrow might not be a good day. And if it's not, that's okay. Yeah. That to me, just kind of epitomizes what is so, so great about this, this show and this, this, these conversations that we have, which is always the permission to show up as your full self yeah. and, and to love that in each other, you know, no matter what it looks like, you know, that's what we should be doing in the world is giving people the space to show up exactly how they want to show up, regardless of, you know, your experience, your understanding. And in fact, when people show up exactly as they are, it gives us the space to expand both our perspectives and, you know, our own identities and then step into that fullness together. Mm. Well, I love you so much. And thank you for, again, stepping into the fellowship of suffering with me. I'm glad that we got to unpack this together. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast. Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production. Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturnist and the Clinical Problem Solvers, our med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember, we see you and you are enough. Holla! Holla.